Hey everyone, welcome back to Above Board with Canderpath. Today we have a very special guest to the podcast. And personally, this conversation is exciting for me because I've been such a fan and advocate of Whoop for several years now. Uh, for those that don't know, Whoop is a fitness and health wearable, and it acts as your personal fitness coach based on real-time data specific to you. Uh, our guest today, Kristen Holmes, is the VP of Performance and Principal Scientist at Whoop. Kristen works with thousands of the best professional and NCAA athletes in the world. Um, she's also an amazing athlete and coach in her own right. She's a former member of the U.S. National Field Hockey Team, as well as one of the most successful coaches in Ivy League history, having won 12 league titles in 13 seasons and the first national championship ever for Princeton University and the Ivy. Kristen, thanks for joining us today on Above Board. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate I'm, it. <laughs> we are so excited to have you. And honestly, I have so many questions and just not enough time for the show. But um, <laughs> before we dive into all of that, would you mind maybe just explaining a little bit about your journey and, and ultimately what connected you to Whoop for... And, and one other question. So this is a two-part question. Your journey and what connected you to Whoop. And then for the folks that are listening to this going, what in the heck is Whoop? Maybe let's explain a little bit more about what that is too. Yeah. Well, I'll start with Whoop. It's a it's a 24/7 physiological monitoring device and we are it's there's no watch face, so it's just, you know, on your wrist passively collecting huge amounts of heart rate data. Our sample rate is, you know, an industry standard in terms of you know, we're we're taking in basically 54 hertz, I think. So huge amounts of heart rate data uh, per second. Um, and then we're transforming that heart rate data to give you insights about how your body is responding and adapting to external stress. And we call that recovery. We measure uh, cardiovascular load, um, which we call strain. And it actually builds in real time. And there's all sorts of kind of cool features related to, uh, to, to the strain pillar. And then we, we also measure your sleep. And we give you uh, lots of insight into your sleep consistency, how much sleep that you're accumulating, how much time you're spending in deeper stages of sleep. So really the overarching goal or kind of project of WHOOP is to help you take more control of your own physiology. And as a result, take more control over the trajectory of your health. Um, and that's really you know, what our, our kind of North Star mission uh, is at WHOOP, is to really empower our members uh, with, with these data and, and enable them to make you know, clear decisions about, about, their, about their behaviors and, and ultimately kind of their life. I remember when I first heard about it, I, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into this story in a little bit, but I, I kept hearing about it. And then I had this, I had, it wasn't a cardiac event. But it was, it was, I was having, I was having chest pains wow. and went to the ER, actually went down a whole spiral. Like I originally went to a walk-in clinic. They're like, your EKGs all over the place. Turns out they don't know nice. how to read an EKG. <laughs> and so then they, I, I go to the ER, I'm in the ER all day and they, they diagnosed me with something that I forget the name of it, costochondritis. It's like inflammation in the in the, the uh, chest, chest bone. Mm -hmm. And, but the, the ER cardiologist that walked in was wearing one of these was wearing a whoop. And he's like, Hey man, you know, you look like a fit guy. Like, you, you know, you're asking me all these questions about your data. Have you ever looked into this? And I'm like, you know, I, I keep hearing about it. And he's like, you, you definitely need one of these. And so it was like inspired for me by, by the ER cardiologist. Wow. But how did, so how did That's you so get, validating. how did you get, I know, I know it's cool. How did you get yeah. connected to whoop? Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned um, my time at Princeton. So, you know, I, I guess there's a 
reason why we won 12 Ivy League championships in 13 seasons <laughs> and a national championship at a, at a little school called Princeton. But, uh, it, you know, it was, we had a really quite a robust performance education platform and framework. And we use that to help our athletes um, kind of uh, understand the factors, both physiological and psychological, that influence their ability to kind of show up and perform in the classroom and you know, on the playing field and, um, you know, to have a just, you know, clearer thinking about just all the, the, the factors that kind of go into their ability to kind of show up and you know, and, and be the best version of themselves. So we had kind of this ro robust performance education platform. And I realized, I guess around 2010, that was heart rate data was starting to become more ubiquitous, you know, in the elite performance kind of circles. And so I started, I was really probably one of the first NC2A coaches to, you know, really use heart rate data in a meaningful way. But I got all sorts of different types of equipment. I had a uh, first beat technology, which is a chest strap um, and really sophisticated. And, and they actually had an algorithm that, that gave you kind of a readiness type of score. Um, so they were using, you know, heart rate variability as a, as a marker to kind of let you know how your athletes were recovering. Um, There's all sorts of other data that, that came along um, with first beat as well. And I was using GPS. So I had internal load, I had external load, and I was basically kind of combining these data to give me insight into how my athletes were adapting and responding to the load I, I put onto them. And what was really interesting over the course of that of that time frame, and, and the more data I collected, and I was also collecting a lot of subjective data as well, uh, in terms of just their perceived energy levels and you know how they felt like they were responding to training, their hydration and some of their nutritional parameters. So I was really collecting huge amounts of data. And one of the things that I realized is that you know the the what I was doing to them in practice didn't necessarily predict their readiness tomorrow. So, and that's, you know, when you're a coach and you're trying to modulate volume intensity in a very intentional way at an individual level, you know, mm -hmm. not understanding how ready that athlete is going to be is a, is a, is a huge problem. <laughs> so, and, and it's hard to kind of develop them consistently and keep them safe and, and un, uninjured. So I started going down the rabbit hole myself trying to say, okay, if it's not these two hours of training, then what is actually happening? And that's when I realized, oh, sleep. <laughs> underfueling, overfueling, hydration, just how I perceive the day, you know, so all mm -hmm. of these components are really going to impact how I show up certainly, but, but most importantly, how I recover from stressors. So I started building my own technology, uh, which is kind of the whoop Dopplinger, I suppose. So around the same time that whoop was founded, I was in a, in beta with um, my technology called Actus. And I um, basically uh, uh, raised a bunch of money. <laughs> so the entrepreneurs can, I uh, can definitely relate. I, I started a, a company and, and raised about a quarter of a million dollars to build this technology. And, and basically what I was doing is I had, I was pulling in Fitbit's API and transforming those data. I had mis machine learning systems of computational biology, uh, machine learning from Carl Icahn on, on Princeton campus. So I hired a bunch of PhD mm -hmm. students and we we're just like churning out these algorithms and testing them. And I had, of course, all my athletes, I was also uh, teaching a class. So I had my students. So I had a, a nice big beta group and we were, you know, basically training these algorithms to give us a sense of what I called at the time readiness. <clears throat> this is before Aura <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and actually, yeah, before first beat as well. And yeah, so I had a readiness score. I had, you know, sleep was a big component and then I had a huge mental health module. <clears throat> and, you know, so basically where we asked uh, questions around purpose and autonomy and control 
is really into kind of self-motivation and you know how to create autonomy without conflicting with the team's mission. So there's there's always this inherent tension between autonomy and team and and anyway these data were kind of really helpful in, in unpacking that. But um, but yeah, I started building my own technology and and I was presenting uh, the technology and kind of the opportunities that I felt like we had to maybe roll this out across the Princeton Athletic Department. And one of the uh, investors in Whoop came down was listening to the the lecture and he said, "Have you have you met Will Ahmed?" And I was like, "Who's Will Ahmed?" And he's like, "He's the founder and CEO of Whoop, and he's building." you know, something very similar, um, but they have their own hardware. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, literally like 40 hours later, I was meeting with Will in New York. And that's kind of how I ended up at Whoop. I love it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so obsessed with Whoop for so many reasons. And <laughs> I do want to get into the, um, the new stress uh, monitoring tool, yeah. which we'll talk about. Yeah. But I do have a question because I think, you know, what's interesting about, obviously you have this, this really great story being in athletics, you know, not only not only as an athlete, but then as a coach. And I think conventional wisdom would be, and and actually when I first started telling friends about Whoop, they're like, oh, that's for athletes. Like right. the conventional wisdom is for athletes, which it is, but I also think it's really important for anybody that's looking to improve their health to have a, a better set of, of data points and metrics that's monitoring you would, would I mean, I, I know the answer, but you would agree with yeah. that? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's literally right. no difference between what is going to move around a 70 year olds performance levels and a 25 professional athletes performance levels. It yeah. is circadian behaviors, it's recovering behaviors and it's strain behaviors. And mm -hmm. of course, how a 25 year old MLB player is going to operate is going to be different than a, a 70 year old, but at a, at a foundational level, we're, we all need to be engaging in these behaviors in, in yeah. very similar ways. We all need to, to meet our, our sleep need. We all need to minimize our sleep debt. We all need to stabilize when we go to bed and when we wake up, these are core foundational principles of, mm -hmm. of health and longevity. Right. And if we think about this broadly, we want to, we, we, you know, health and performance they're no, they're no different, <laughs> you know, like they, mm -hmm. they're like, if you're not thinking about your health in a very intentional way, performance is not poss possible. Right. And you might yeah. still perform, you know, because of whatever standard, but when you look at it at an individual level, you know, the person on my left and right or the American standard, like that's not my bar. Right. Yeah. And that's the opportunity with data is that I can start to see what my own individual potential is and work toward that in a very intentional way. Yeah. And and I think that's that's really the opportunity I think with these with these th with a technology like Whoop is that you can really start to understand, you know, how do I you know, improve, you know, come to the day with, you know, uh, as much presence in my you know, in and be able to engage in the things that I I want to engage in at a, at a level that I want to um at I want to be at and Yeah. And I think they're, you know, they're I always say, you know, performance is a choice. And I think health is now becoming a choice as well. Sure. And sure. and I think that's super exciting. Like if we understand how to apply our effort, then you know, we can choose our level of functioning, you know, mm -hmm. cognitively, emotionally, physically, and to me there's nothing more exciting than that. I I think I'm a potentially a good example of somebody that is a non-athlete. Um and uh it was probably around 2019-2020. So we have two small kids. Mm. Um, but at the time, my daughter was maybe three. 
And, you know, a lot of bad habits happen in life at that point. You know, you're eating late, you get up in the middle of the night with, with a baby, um, you, you're, you're drinking more caffeine than you should be, you're sleeping less, all the things. And what I noticed about myself at this point, I'm in my early 30s, and I noticed about myself, I thought, wow, I mean, if I continue down this path, um, and obviously as the kids get older, it's a little bit easier to sleep and stuff like that, but as I continue down this path of unhealthy traits, meaning making excuses to, well, you know what, I'll work out tomorrow. I'm not going to work out today. You know, I was, I, I'm as busy. I'm, I'll, you know, be with the kids and I'll work out tomorrow or I'll eat healthy tomorrow, whatever. I was making excuses and I was noticing, I mean, I was seeing it in the mirror too, but I felt fatigued. I felt tired and I go, man, I mean, I, this is ridiculous. I mean, I'm in my early thirties. I should have more energy than I do. Granted, messing with the sleep cycle with little ones at home is an interesting phenomenon that I just never anticipated how difficult that would be. But it, you know, it was around this time, you know, 2020 ish that I started hearing about the whoop and, and started getting more into my fitness. And it, you know, that, the cardiologist that I mentioned earlier in our conversation, that was like the whole event itself was very eye opening for me because I felt like, okay, I'm young. I shouldn't be having, thank God it wasn't an actual cardiac event, but I kept thinking, is this, this is what it feels like? I mean, this is, you know, and, and at that point in life, I kind of kept blaming myself for the bad habits I've developed over these last several years. I'm like, I got to do something to fix this. Like I'm in control of this situation. I can fix it. And for me, you know, and, and for a lot of people listening, it's, you know, probably just doing the the stuff that's easy to say, but hard to do, you know, drink more water, eat healthier exercise. But something that was weirdly motivating for me was having the whoop and then being able to, to sort of see the impact of the decisions that I made. Uh, alcohol is a phenomenal example. I mean, and I'm hypersensitive. I'm hypersensitive to it. I know it's probably crushing for anybody, but for me specifically, if I have like one or two glasses with dinner, just forget it. The next day, the recovery is bad. I, I have a elevated... Um, respiratory rate. rate the next day, yeah, yeah, my yeah. heart rate's high and yeah. you know, all these things. And, and so, uh, it's been really eye opening, also to just like tinker with stuff. Like, you know what, this week I'm going to not eat dairy and like, see how my, my analytics respond to that. I just, I think it's really cool. I, I, I wanted to ask, so I, I maybe am, I think people that know me well, my wife, friends would say that, uh, I'm a bit of an overachiever, not in the sense that like I'm working out all the time, or, but I, I do like to work. I do like to be act, I, in, in all areas of life, life's never balanced, right? But in all areas of life, I really do try to give myself to those areas. And what I noticed is, and I can imagine you're looking at so many different folks, you know, like athletes data, and I'm just like an average person, but I've heard you use the term chronically activated. And I, you know, when I heard you first say that, I thought to myself, like, man, maybe like, I think maybe I, you know, I'm working, I work out every day and, you know, maybe that's not a good thing for me. And my, my data suggests it's not, but maybe just out of curiosity, what are some things that the folks that are listening to this, that identify as overachievers or just hard workers can do to help support their recovery, uh, maybe promote better sleep, that type of thing. What, what are your thoughts yeah. there? Yeah. So chronic activation is uh is is basically characterized as kind of high resting heart rate mm -hmm. you know 
relative to what would be kind of normal or desirable, right? And how that manifests is that manifests in uh, basically chronic levels of stress. Even if you don't really perceive as, oh my God, I'm stressed. There's this just chronic insidious nature of that stress that ends up manifesting in, in kind of probably undesirable ways, uh, you know, difficulty falling asleep. And a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of like hard charging people uh, are generally carrying some level of sleep debt. That is, they're not spending enough time in bed. And as a result, they, when they hit the head hits a pill, they fall asleep right away. But because that stress, because they're chronically activated and they haven't managed that stress in a proactive way, they end up having a fragmented sleep experience. And a lot of that is because their heart rate is elevated in the sense that in, in, when your heart rate is elevated, it's difficult, more difficult to get into these deeper stages of sleep where all the restoration happens. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, chronic stress, you know, in, in stress is not bad, right? Exercise is while that's a stressor, right? There's a hormetic, you know, adaptation, right? That's, that's positive for the system. So exercise generally is not going to hurt you. That's going to really help relieve stress, actually, even though it's creating stress, it will help, it'll help relieve stress. But another thing you can, you can do is, is, you know, many moments of deactivation. So intentional deactivation throughout the day. And that's mm -hmm. where the stress monitor, um, which is a new feature that we just launched. So cool. Yeah, it gives you real time stress score between zero to three. And it's we're measuring your heart rate and your heart rate variability and basically comparing that to your baseline. And I, um, because I've never seen anything like it, it's amazing. It is, it's absolutely incredible. And we're so excited to see how members end up using it and, and the insights that they derive. But really understanding your source of stress, I think for people who are kind of chronically activated and high stress, can be such a powerful source of insight because then you can, when you understand what activates you, um, and you can then kind of recognize, okay, is this is this a positive stressor? Is this is this an adaptive, you know, kind of stressor, or is this just the kind of stress that's going to contribute to the fragmented sleep or the kind of the chronically elevated heart rate? Mm -hmm. And and once you kind of understand that, then you can be more proactive at managing it, mm -hmm. and. In the so we not only tell you with the stress monitor, oh, you're stressed, <laughs> that's kind of paralyzing, right? We actually tell you how to manage it. And and in the app, we give you the ability to practice um, what is the most efficacious uh, modality in reducing anxiety and stress, even away from the session. And it's called the physiological sigh. And we have Dr. Andrew Huberman, one of our science advisors in the app, kind of demonstrating the physiological sigh. And we actually did some research with him that really showed the physiological sigh as being the most efficacious at deactivation and um, really, you know, managing, managing stress levels. So it's basically just a double inhale. So you kind of inhale fully and then one other, you know, quick, short inhale, and then an extended exhale. And you yeah. just repeat that for 15 cycles. And that brings your heart rate down. It increases your heart rate variability. And it has been shown to, to reduce anxiety away from that breathwork session. So yeah, so we're really excited about this feature, but I think the, the core principle is that you want to, you know, just really think about stress across the day and make sure that you're mapping stress with intentional moments of rest. And that's mm -hmm. how you can, um, I think, improve your uh, 
your kind of adaptive capacity, I suppose, um, and increase your your actually tolerance for stress by making sure that you're, you know, with every activation, extended activation, you're you're mapping that with a with a, a session of deactivation. Well, I think you'd be proud of me. My stress monitor says I'm at a one. I, I had to check it while we're talking because I was yeah. curious. I'm at a one point two, and it's on a scale of three, Amazing. which I think is which I think is good. I I've learned about myself that I am. Oh damn! Yeah, I'm high. Are you? What's yours? What's yours? I'm so high. I'm at two point one. Well, that's because you're passionate about what you're talking about, right? now. Yes, no, for sure. And that's what's so cool too. Like, I mean, one of the you know my thesis kind of coming into Whoop and where I was trying to rally everyone around was the fact that you know heart rate variability is not just a metric that helps us understand your physiological functioning. It's a measure that actually can help us understand our psychological functioning and, you know, yeah. and how adaptive that is. And so I just love that we're able to kind of use heart rate variability in this way. It's like so exciting. Would, would you mind explaining for the listeners what heart rate variability is and why it's important? Yes. So heart rate variability is, is basically the, the time interval between heartbeats. And while it's a function of the heart, it, or it originates in the autonomic nervous system. Your autonomic nervous system has two branches, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, and they're both competing to send signals to the heart. And the parasympathetic is the deactivating, the rest and digest, and the sympathetic is the fight or flight, the activating. And both are obviously really important. But when we're, when we're highly recovered and we're adapting functionally to stress and we're really proactive about managing our, our stress, our heart is going to be responsive to both inputs from the autonomic nervous system. The more mm -hmm. under-recovered we are, the less responsive your heart will be to the inputs. And you just notice yourself, you know, as you're just not as like your reaction times aren't as good. Like you're not, you know, mentally as sharp, you know, you just don't, you know, psychologically you might feel, you know, emotionally maybe a little bit more depressed or like lower mood. Okay. So lower heart rate variability is a sign that you're not adapting to stress in a functional way relative to your own baseline. So it's a really powerful marker to just understand how you're adapting. And, um, and I think everyone should be tracking their heart rate variability, of course. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it just gives you a lot of insight into, and, and I don't think you should obsess over it, you know, daily necessarily, but I think just yeah. getting, just keeping a weekly pulse on, you know, am I trending up or am I trending down? can yeah. be, can be really helpful. Right. And, and I think to your point, I love the self experimentation that you do, you know, the dairy or, you know, these different little mini experiments, because there's some things that, you know, you know, the alcohol like impacts you, you know, very negatively. Like you don't have the ability to metabolize alcohol, you know, from enzyme, you know, it's, I almost hate people. how much I know how bad it is for me. Like I knew it, you know, you know, <laughs> no. it's bad for you, but then to really visually see it, you're like, even when you wake up the next day, you're like, I had a couple glasses of wine with dinner. I feel fine. But you I look know. at it and you're like, wow, that was I know. awful. I know. And you fall asleep fast, but then you wake up and you're sweating or you're like, you've got all this, like, you know, just all these disturbances. You don't, you know, don't get into deeper stages of sleep and you're, yeah, it's, it's a mess. But, but I, I think what is, what's cool is that you can see how that impacts heart rate variability, which is again, this really, this great marker of, of, of your adaptation, you know, to, yeah. to, to life's various stressors, you know, the, the nutritional inputs, the, you know, the hydration levels, you know, the alcohol medication, like you just can see how all of that might impact. Mm -hmm. Now, 
one thing to say about heart rate variability is it, it is very nonspecific in that I just listed off six things that can impact heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. So it can be hard to kind of pinpoint, but there are a suite of behaviors that give you kind of a, a baseline or a foundation of that you can then layer on other things that can yeah. kind of improve it. But there's definitely some very core behaviors that you'd want to um, adopt if you're interested in improving your adaptive capacity. I think I've, I've heard you and, and some of your colleagues say that even something as simple as drinking a glass of water can increase your heart rate variability, That's correct. which is yeah. why it's important not to. So, so one of the, one of the first questions I had when I was learning about HRV, when I first got the mm-hmm. whoop and I've read a lot of your research on it and like the articles that you and your team have, have published when I was first trying to understand, it, I'm like, why can't I just track it at any given moment's notice? And then I realized, well, you know, I think the explanation that I surmised was that you, you take it, you guys, your team is taking it consistently at the same time, at, at that deepest layer of sleep that you're, because that's like a consistent yeah. read on your HRV. Yep. And when, even when you look at the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to say that, uh, and it's, it's not wrong what you're saying, but, but we're, we're taking it 24 seven. So, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're definitely, um, you know, HRV is being, you know, we're recording it 24 seven, but um, the more movement, the more artifact uh, there is, and, and it makes it difficult to, to really understand what your heart rate variability is. Yeah. That's why stress monitor is great. Cause it's, it's, it's not about exercise per se. It's about when you're kind of in these still moments. And that is in fact, the best time to measure heart rate variability in terms of giving you a sense of how you're adapting to life load. That's training load. That's life load. You know, everything that you're doing over the course of the day, all the load. And, and we want to, in looking at it during sleep, basically minimizes all those confounders that can influence heart rate variability. So when you're sleeping, you're not drinking water to your point, heart, you know, heart rate, drinking water is going to increase your heart rate. You're presumably, you're not, you're not drinking alcohol. You're not taking medication. You're not doing anything that's going to move around your heart rate variability. It's just this nice static kind of baseline, uh, you know, or just a kind of moment where you're unconscious, where we can then go in and kind of cherry pick when you're in the deepest stages of sleep, again, minimizing all these confounders to then give you an assessment of what your kind of average heart rate variability is over the course of the evening. And that gives us that kind of one data point that you can, that we can carry through into the recovery score that gives I you think a sense. That's, of I think that's important though, because it, it makes it consistent versus yes. like you said, I mean, it would be, it would be unfair. It wouldn't even be correct or accurate to, to compare my HRV at 2 AM versus my HRV at noon when I'm drinking a glass of water, like the, I'm doing different, I'm asleep versus, you know, drinking water, yep. whatever. And what I like about the stress monitor is it's, it's on a range from basically zero to 3.0. Yep, and, exactly. and it doesn't, you, for someone like me who can become obsessive about things where I'm like, I want to know my HRV at any given moment. It doesn't necessarily, it, it helps me understand what my stress is at. And mm-hmm. I assume there's some proprietary blend of data that's kind of coming together to, to arrive at what that stress monitor is and probably factoring in HRV and stuff. Yeah. It's your heart rate, heart rate variability. Yeah. It compared yeah. to your baseline. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I gotta tell you, it's earlier you were talking about just simply the importance of breathing mm. and I've learned about myself recently in these last couple of years that I'm kind of a higher stressed individual mm. and something as simple as breath work, mm-hmm. like the importance of doing that. 
And what I love about now within the app that you've got kind of these, I don't know if you call them guided meditations, but like it's guided breath work to, to kind of work through that, 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 and I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Like there's, there's, that's the one I was describing the physiological sigh, because I think what's important to, to note is that the industry is really noisy, right? There's, there's, there's like 20 different types of meditation. There's, you know, mindfulness practice, there's all these sorts of things, but and those things are good, but a lot of folks, it takes a lot of skill to do those well, whereas mm-hmm. breathing in this structured way doesn't really take skill, right? You just literally follow the pattern and you get these incredible physiological benefits, right? So, um, so that's really why we, why we centered on physiological side. We don't have a gazillion breath works. We have, we have two, one that increases alertness is known to increase alertness backed in, you know, science and, um, you know, and, and really well-controlled experiments and physiological sigh, which is the deactivating breath work. So, um, you know, we kind of choose these two because we want to reduce the noise and give people, we know that these work in activate, activating and deactivating. So, we're just going to give you what's the most efficacious. So you're not wasting your time. Well, what I really enjoy about it is I'm the type of person that likes to have control over my yeah. situation <laughs> and, and my surroundings yeah. and things. And sometimes I've, I've noticed I don't have control over my stress, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's overriding. And in, and in a lot of ways, in some ways it's good because I think being stressed makes me alert. It makes me on, on point. Like if I, if I'm in a, if I'm in an important meeting or recording a mm-hmm. podcast, like, yep. like I, you know, it, it makes sure that I'm on, but in other ways I've learned, that's why I asked about being chronically activated because mm-hmm. I, I kind of specifically wanted to talk to you about that today. Yeah. But I've learned that sort of maintaining that feeling all the time is that's so counterproductive. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not, but it's not also something that you have to spend 15 minutes a day doing no. breath work on. You can, but I like that, like within the app, it's like, Hey, just do this. You know, I mean, this is something that could be seconds or minutes. Like it could be short. Oh. It could be yeah, in, for seconds, me. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's anyone listening to this, like we all have busy schedules. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, okay, I can take, I got five minutes in between meetings. Like I can take a moment and I can, I can work on that versus sort of maintaining this high stress feeling that I, that I seem to have. And I, and I ask it a lot about the HRV because I've noticed, I know you guys always say not to compare. Um, but I notice like, like I have friends, you know, I have a bunch of friends, it's like everyone that I know I've been raving about woo for so long. Like we all yeah. have, we all have it and yeah, yeah. data sets and stuff. And yeah. Like, Man, like, I, why isn't my HRV higher? And and <laughs> honestly, I think that this new stress tool will really help me with that because I actually think that that's potentially part of my problem. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I know you, I know that the, the the adages do not compare data. <laughs> no, right? but but heart rate variability is modifiable, you know, and you're doing so many other things right that I think you are correct in thinking that it it might be this just kind of chronic latent stress that is suppressing your heart rate variability. So yeah. you're you're kind of we talked about the branches of the autonomic nervous system, like you're sympathetic, 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 right? And and you're not really creating that balance in the autonomic nervous system. And and that's where this breath work can kind of create more autonomic balance, giving you more control mm-hmm. over your autonomic nervous system. 
right? Yeah. And when we, when we have more control of our, our nervous system, really have control over physiology, which is super exciting, right? I can't, I can't control how I'm digesting necessarily, but I can actually control my heart rate, which is so exciting and empowering, you know? Um, and if we think about it in the context of really, um, you know, managing stress in a more proactive, intentional way, I think it, it gets really exciting. Yeah, I um, so I I did this challenge, which I, I'm I'm sure you've heard of before, but it, it's called 75 hard, and uh, or maybe you haven't. But so for 75 days, you do a, a set of things. For example, one of them is you work out twice a day, and they're 45 minute workout sessions each. And for an athlete, maybe not a big deal. Although I I I can probably even tell just by looking at your reaction that like athletes need to recover too. But for the average person, it's like, that's a lot. It's a lot of activity. And it's meant mm -hmm. to sort of jumpstart discipline. It's meant for all mm -hmm. the right things. I, I think it it's created in me specifically. It's been great. But what I learned when I did it, I mean, I had the whoop the whole time. My, my recovery was garbage for like 75 yeah. days. It was awful. Yeah. And, and. And I think now in, in reflection, looking back at it, I'm almost a little more excited to replace the workouts with being more mindful of mm -hmm. managing my stress levels. And, and I almost feel like it's, it created this level, this highly elevated level of, of, of chronic activation, yeah. you know, it's, you know it's cortisol, it's epinephrine, it's adrenaline, you know, like you, you're, you're not, that's not supposed to be like coursing through your body constantly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, more is, is usually just more. Um, it, it's not yeah. necessarily better, you know, and, and, and I think re recovery is just really important, you know, and when you see that you're not adapting functionally, where, where you see that you're kind of like teetering on that overtraining, right. Which mm -hmm. certainly is what's happening. If you're, you know, working out relatively hard every single day without giving your body a chance to recover, you know, you're going to end up with a high, you know, a, a lower heart rate variability and a higher resting heart rate. And so you're really not contributing to kind of your overall health and longevity <laughs> by, yeah. by doing those sorts of challenges. I, I think there is, you know, some, certainly some benefit, you know, of course, to your mindset and just feeling like sure. you accomplished something, but, but I think we need to kind of flip that script and that recovery is also accomplishing something, especially for someone like you, like for you, working out 75 days a week is probably easy in the sense like what's harder for you is actually is, is sitting for 20 minutes. Yeah. You know me so well already. <laughs> right. And, and, yeah. But that, but that, right. you know, if you, if you can't sit alone for 20 minutes with your thoughts, like that's a problem, right. Yeah. And in terms of like your, when you think about it from a, a health and longevity standpoint, that is a skill that we, we all need to, to develop and lean into. And, and I think that that is, you know, if we can, if we can do that and show that we do that and do it every day, I think we'll be more tolerant, like patient parents will be able to show up with more engagement and more presence. So yeah, I, I think as someone who really values, you know, exercise and movement, I also really advocate for stillness because I think that's where, you know, that that's the, that's going to enable you to have that capacity that you, I think, really desire um, mm -hmm. when it you know comes to your work and and your and your and your your workouts and um, you know everything that you're doing when you're active. Well, you mentioned the word longevity, and I mean, I, I care so much about that because I, you know, again, I have small kids; they're three and six now. Yeah. But my my dad passed when I was 24, mm. and so I like for me, it is it is 
like in my mind, I have these milestones of walking my daughter down the aisle someday mm. or just having these big, you know, momentous celebrations, maybe grandkids in my future. Like I work, we work with a lot yeah. of retirees, right? So I always joke, like I get to <laughs> yes. vicariously live retirement through them mm-hmm. and I see yeah. the joy. Like I see the joy, mm-hmm. not only in my own grandmother, so but like care. I see the, it's so, it's so sweet. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think again, having those, those chest pains I had a few years ago, it was kind of all the signals went off for me of like, Gosh. well, what am I doing? Like I, I need to, and want to focus on longevity. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a new chapter for me, timing perfect with the new stress monitor that you guys yeah. <laughs> unveiled, because you're right. Like, instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to spend 45 minutes working out today. I should probably maybe work out for a half an hour and spend another mm-hmm. 20, 25 minutes, you know, being still in my thoughts and, yeah. and having some mindfulness practice. So I really yeah. appreciate it. Any, any, um, final, uh, parting words of, of wisdom or thoughts to share with the audience? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'd be remiss not to mention the one behavior that I, I think moves around our, both our physical and mental health resilience the most, you know, just to, again, it bubbles up in, in, in all of our research as being most predictive, um, independent of sleep is your sleep wake timing and making that as consistent as possible. So the more night to night variability you have, the higher your resting heart rate will be, the lower your heart rate variability will be. You have more insulin resistance, um, reduced melatonin production, which has a lot of neuroprotective effects. So when you think about, you know, reducing, you know, if you have Alzheimer's in your family, for example, or, you know, in some neurodegenerative disease, um, you want to make sure that your melatonin signaling is really strong. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of night to night sleep-wake variability is going to to kind of decrease that melatonin production. So this is really well known inside the literature in that in, in that night to night variability is, is important, but it was interesting to kind of see it emerge in, in our studies as well, you know, and, and be so strongly associated with also psychological functioning. Um, and we did this, we replicated it. We did it. Uh, it's, it's in, it's under revision right now. So it'll be published soon, but with army soldiers and surgeons. So when you talk about really hard charging folks, <laughs> these are really hard charging sure. folks. So uh, it was, it was interesting to kind of see sleep, uh, wake variability kind of play out as as the most predictive in 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 psychological and physiological functioning. I love the sleep coach on the app itself, mm-hmm. and I know that that's a that's a big thing that that you guys hit home on. And and I will say though it's anecdotal, I, I think a lot of people listening to this probably you know during the week you have a very consistent schedule, right? Like at least I try to. I try to go to bed at the same time after mm-hmm. the kids down that type of thing. But on the weekends, it's like, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll stay up a little bit later. And I've learned about myself and I'm like, no alcohol involved in this. But like, I've learned, like if I go to bed at 1130 or 12, if we have friends over or something like that, I, the next day, I might as well be hungover. In fact, yeah. I've joked with my wife, like, this sucks. I mean, I didn't even yeah. drink last night and I feel like I did. Yeah. In, in fact, actually, we're just starting to dig into these data. But yeah, there's actually, there was a really big study with college students that looked at um, the variability between the weekdays and the weekends and the more variability in, in, in kind of night and sleep wake time uh, between your weekend and, and uh, week, weekdays and weekends predicted non-suicidal self-harm hmm. or self-injury, which yeah. is 
pretty interesting, you know, and these are kind of higher risk adults in a college setting. Um, but I, I think that what we're going to see, I, this is the hypothesis. When we look at, at the data, we're going to see that this kind of social jet lag effect where we're oversleeping on the weekends mm -hmm. and have consistent sleep data is very, very difficult on the circadian system. And as a result, and what you're seeing is basically all the clocks in your body all the peripheral clocks in your body that are taking environmental cues are not getting the right information are not getting the same information that they got during the week. So mm -hmm. this misinformation between the natural cues, the environment and kind of what your the clocks in your body are expecting when that becomes disassociated, habit consumes, right? Like you feel lethargic and you lack energy and you feel kind of brain foggy, right? So it's this concept, it's called circadian alignment or circadian misalignment. And circadian misalignment is associated with all sorts of deleterious health outcomes. So from diabetes, cardiovascular event, it's almost, you know, I, I'm, I'm overstating, but we can almost think about it as root cause mm -hmm. to all mortality. Mm -hmm. If you have circadian misalignment, you are more pre predisposed to Alzheimer's cancer proneness. They've shown this breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, as I mentioned, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, like it is serious. So, you know, circadian alignment is hopefully going to be with this. We're building some features around this as well um, that I'm super, super excited about. And, and I apologize, my PhD is in circadian physiology, so I could like wax on for days on this stuff. But but I'm so passionate because uh, it really is when people want to take control of their health, align your circadian rhythms. You know, view light yeah. when you, you know, within 20 minutes of waking up, lots of bright light during the day, natural light, restrict light once you go to bed, try to eat during the active phase of your circadian rhythm, which is when the, when the sun's up, once the sun goes down, try to limit the calories you're putting in your body. Cause again, mm -hmm. that confuses your system. Your system does not want to be eating during the inactive phase of your circadian cycle, which is basically when the sun is down. So that's, that's my rant on circadian things. <laughs> well, I can, I can feel the passion coming through. Yeah. And I mean, that's, this is why you're so good at what you do and I, you, you articulate it very well too. Honestly, selfishly, this was, this, this whole conversation was so fun for me because I feel like I received my own like mini coaching session from you, but <laughs> I know a lot of others uh, will get the opportunity to benefit from this conversation as well. Good. I, I do want to be respectful of your time as we wrap the show, but before I let you go, uh, we, I definitely want to mention the Whoop podcast, um, you know, that along with maybe what are some other good places for listeners to follow you or learn more mm -hmm. about Whoop? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I post all sorts of protocols on Instagram, you know, so just ways to think about cold exposure and heat exposure and all the research that we're doing in female physiology and executive function and circadian uh, physiology. Uh, so, I, you know, I have a broad range of things that I'm involved in from a research perspective um, and definitely post um, all of those insights. Um, and it's Kristen Holmes, 21, 26, I think, um, should mm -hmm. be able to find me. And then LinkedIn as well. I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, you know, just a lot of whoop updates and, uh, and again, just different ways to think about performance and teams and motivation. So a lot of the psychological kind of frameworks um, and how that marries to the physiology. So yeah, pretty active. Um, I'll, we'll put, we'll post a link in the show notes for that. And, and I, you know, again, um, if, if I can mention a couple of, of the podcast, I really, uh, I really enjoyed this one's going back to like September of last year, but episode 188, it was a Q and a that you did, but the whole, like the, a lot of the conversation was 
on the podcast, like understanding HRV and linking mm. it between like anxiety and recovery and that type of mm. thing. And so the, the types of conversations we had today, like Kristen's having those conversations all the time on the podcast. <laughs> and, and even the latest one, though you're not on this one, but but that's okay because the, the the latest one is a, is the whole like monitor. It's, it's yeah, about the new so stress we'll, monitor. Our, our CTO and CEO have a conversation about stress monitor, which is one of my favorite podcasts. It was so great to kind of hear because we're obviously in beta for a long time, so we've been testing this out. But I love how Jamie and Will you know talk through. You know, Jamie tells a story of how you know just just getting the kids out the door in the morning and yeah. her stress was just at a three, which I have two kids too, 18 months apart. So we have probably a similar family, John, but yeah, I can totally relate to that. And, you know, they, they both kind of share these just weird moments where you wouldn't expect, and I suppose getting the kids out in the house, you'd expect your stress to be high, but just even, you know, Jamie was going on a long road trip and, uh, you know, work trip and, you know, just saying bye to her kid, her stress was at a three, you know, just knowing that sure. she's going to be yes, away. And, I heard that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, lots of really cool stories I, and yeah. I loved that story. It hit home with me big time. And honestly, mm -hmm. the reason that I keep mentioning the podcast is because you had mentioned so many good little tidbits just in the conversation, even as it relates to like when you first wake up and like getting sunlight, I, I have adopted mm. a lot of these things as a result of listen, listening to your podcast. Good. So it's a very good one um, for the folks listening to us. Uh, Kristen, thank you again so much for sharing your story with us today and just really insightful information for uh, all of our listeners. Um, and to listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in to Above Board with Canterpath. We love these conversations and we love our listeners. So please do me a favor and share this show if you found it useful. Uh, we grow our audience exclusively by word of mouth and we love getting these conversations out there into the hands of people that also find value from it. Thanks again for joining us today, Kristen, and we'll see everybody next week.